This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. Entertainment and enlightenment. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Thanks for staying with the Glenn Beck program. You're going to think this story came out of the Onion. You know, that satirical uh, newspaper. But actually, this comes out of the Wall Street Journal. Did you know that the chief executive of Frito-Lay has vowed to turn the maker of Fritos, Cheetos, and potato chips and Pepsi into a health juggernaut? I'm not kidding. This, this story here says, but while consumers said they all want to eat healthy, often all they want, all they really want are potato chips. It goes on to say, but buoyed by less healthy snack brands such as Doritos chips and Cheetos puffs, PepsiCo's sales and volumes are on the rise and its profit margin, margins have expanded in 15 quarters straight. Selling junk food. Yeah. That's what people want from Frito-Lay. Then what health food? If I want to eat healthy, I'm not going to. <laughs> if I want to eat healthy, I'm not going to buy Frito Lay products. I know where the produce section is in the store. So it goes on to say that these are hard truths for big food companies. Taste is the biggest factor in snack purchase. No kidding. Salt. That's what they want to taste. So it says here, when people get together, they have snacks like potato chips and pretzels. They don't all sit around and snack on granola bars, says Norman Deschamps at Market Researcher Package Facts. It's a lot easier for a food behemoth like PepsiCo to generate revenue by tweaking just the Lay's brand of potato chips, the world's top-selling food brand, than to start from scratch with quinoa or spinach. It says the world's biggest food companies have been trying to ramp up healthier offerings for years, but consumers haven't given up their love for all things sweet and salty. Do you think you'd have to pay a researcher to tell you that? This is fascinating. If I was a shareholder, Frito-Lay, I wouldn't be happy about this. I'd say keep selling the junk food. You know, McDonald's tried this. McDonald's, 
Hamburgers and fries. That's what people want when they go to McDonald's. But, of course, we've turned into the nanny state where government, the federal government and state government, remember New York with Mayor Bloomberg and his elimination of the big gulp sodas to try to get people to eat and drink in a more healthy fashion? So now the government, the federal government steps in and puts all these requirements on these food makers. Now they have to list all of the ingredients and all of the caloric intake and how much sodium and fat and carbohydrates. I never look at the wrapper that crap when I go to eat it. If I'm eating a baby Ruth or a Butterfinger, I just rip the package open and start eating it. I don't care what the ingredients are. I know what it is. It's a candy bar. It's sugar. Covered with chocolate. Tastes good. I know I know where to find cucumbers and carrots. So we you know, you look at this stuff here. Well, McDonald's, you know, they try to get into the healthy food eating. Remember that? They had this Healthy menu sec- section on, uh, in their restaurants. It bombed. You know, there's some people that went in there and wanted to order a salad. I wouldn't go to McDonald's to order a salad. You know what people want when they go to McDonald's? Grease. Because it tastes good. French fries cooked in oil. Hamburgers, which are they're, they're, they're quarter pounders with cheese. Now it's a double quarter pounder with extra cheese, and now they put bacon on it. That's what people want from McDonald's. So McDonald's abandoned that healthy menu. You know why? They were losing money off of it. They realized... They came to the realization, which they didn't have to pay some marketing research guy or woman this. They could have just asked me, how do you think this is going to work? We're going to offer a healthy menu at McDonald's. I'd say, are you guys nuts? Do your stockholders know this? Do you know what people want from you, McDonald's? Quarter pounders with cheese, french fries, and shakes. That's what they want. They don't want wraps, salad wraps. You know, some people eat that. They don't go to McDonald's. If you're if you're a healthy eater, do you go to McDonald's to get your health food? Don't you go to Whole Foods or one of these other places that uh, you know has a little healthier menu? Who, what person that wants to focus on healthy eating steps foot in a McDonald's? What so they can? order a shake and fries with their healthy wrap? I mean, this stuff is insane. It really is. And this goes kind of in line with uh, this other thing I came across here from the Daily Signal. Ivy League students tear down Shakespeare portrait in the name of diversity. It's how crazy this world is because, actually, this country. With this political correctness. that I hope on November 8th of this year was given its last rights. I really do. It's going to take some time. 
It says here, students at the University of Pennsylvania have removed a portrait of William Shakespeare and replaced it with a picture of a black lesbian poet for the sake of having greater diversity. The large Shakespeare portrait had resided near a staircase in Fisher Bennett Hall for years until a gaggle of activist students removed it and placed it in the office of the English department head. In its place, they taped up a photograph of Audre Lorde. I guess she's the black lesbian poet. Never heard of her. The portrait won't be moved back, according to a statement from the uh, English department head, because a white male Shakespeare didn't embody the value of diversity. To which I would ask, why not? If you listened to the program yesterday, you, you, you heard me ask, or say that you know, you know a lot of these 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 liberal mainstream media that were picking a, a picking apart Donald Trump's cabinet nominees as being too white, and I said someone needs to ask these people. What are you going to get some white people? So the diversity has to be to the exclusion of whites. You can't have whites, blacks, Hispanics. It can only be blacks, Hispanics, lesbians, transgenders, Muslims, but it can't include whites. So this, this, this uh, department head said, students removed the Shakespeare portrait and delivered it to my office as a way of affirming their commitment to a more inclusive mission for the English department. So that doesn't include Shakespeare? He can't be a part of the inclusiveness, their inclusive mission? Shakespeare can't be a part of the diversity? It can only be a black lesbian poet? This is part of that totalitarianism on college campuses. The left knows better than anybody else. Control the language, you control the narrative. It's Milwaukee County Sheriff David Clark. We've got to take a break. This is the Glenn Beck Program. We have the Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. Welcome back to the program. Merry Christmas from your host today, Milwaukee County Sheriff David Clark. This is the Glenn Beck program. Here's another one that you'd think you would find in the onion. This Newsweek writer claims assault by tweet from the Daily Caller. Newsweek senior writer Kirk Eichenwall claimed Friday he was assaulted by a tweet that caused a seizure. Now, the seizure part isn't funny, but assaulted by a tweet. My God, would my Twitter handle be in trouble. It all started with a tweet Thursday from Eichenwald's account that said, at Jew underscore Goldstein. 
to his wife, you caused a seizure. I'm sorry, this is his wife, you caused a seizure. I have your information, I've called the police to report the assault. That's why I said you think this was out of the onion. This guy would call the police because someone sent him a tweet that he says caused his, his wife to have a seizure. So it says the Twitter user Jew underscore Goldstein had sent a GIF, G-I-F, an animated video of changing colors with text that said, you deserve a seizure. The account has been suspended by Twitter. Newsweek told the Daily Caller they could confirm that Eichenwald's wife, what she said was true. Well, yeah, that means if, if, if Newsweek said it, then that's confirmation. That's enough confirmation for them, I guess. It's not enough confirmation for me. Eichenwald himself went back on Twitter Friday to say he is taking a hiatus from the social media site as he works with law enforcement to bring this guy to justice. you got to be kidding me. That the police would even respond and spend time on it? I wonder what police agency this is. It doesn't say here. The Newsweek writer also suggested that the FBI might get involved. <laughs> no, this is not from The Onion, folks. This is from the dailycaller.com. So he wrote, and this is this Eichenwald. At this point, the police are attempting to determine if this is a federal crime because it appears to be crossing state lines. <laughs> The FBI did not respond to an inquiry about whether assault via Internet GIF is a federal crime. Speaking of that, let's talk about fake news. Unbelievable. And I'm going to talk about this Russian hacking, this all this uproar over Russian hacking and how the Russians were to blame for defeating Mrs. Bill Clinton and the Democrats. And it was the Russians that led people in the swing states, including Wisconsin and now Michigan, that hadn't gone Republican for several decades in Pennsylvania. How was the Russians? I mean, I live in Wisconsin, right? I voted for Donald Trump, supported Donald Trump. What these stories suggest is that I was going to vote for somebody else. And then I said, well, you know, since the Russians have hacked, I guess I'll go vote for somebody else. I guess I'll go vote for Donald Trump. I mean, this is insane. But this is what they've glommed on to. Remember, they started with the, it was James Comey's fault. That's why she lost. Then it was fake news. And now it's the Russian hacking. And since not much is going on in the political world, most of the media is content with just to report on this, this Russian hacking. And I'm not here to suggest, because I don't know. I'm not here to suggest that Russia doesn't try to hack into databases. They don't try to get an edge. The Americans do the same thing. But to say this caused Donald Trump to get elected is insane. I mean, I'm looking at this piece here from Rasmussen. And it says, the New York Times story titled, Russian Hackers Acted to Aid Trump in Election. U.S. says is based entirely on what else? Unnamed sources, including political appointees of current President Barack Obama. Play that first clip for us, please. 
but the larger point that I, I, I want to emphasize here is that there is no serious person out there who would suggest somehow that you could even you could even rig America's elections in part because they're so decentralized and the numbers of votes involved. There's no evidence that that has happened in the past or that there are instances in which that will happen this time. And so uh, I'd advise Mr. Trump to stop whining and go try to make his case to get votes. And if he got the most votes, then it would be my expectation of Hillary Clinton to offer a gracious concession speech and pledge to work with him in order to make sure that the American people benefit from an effective government. Now, that was before November 8th. That was President Obama. And that was when the Democrats were claiming at the time that their uh, Podesta's emails were hacked. They may have been. I don't know. I don't know if the Russians did it. You heard, you, you heard the president. Is this impossible? With all the intricacies involved for them to not to get into these systems, but to swing an election. Then he accused Trump of whining. And he said, this is before November 8th, if Trump gets more votes, if Trump wins the election, she apparently won the popular vote because of California. But if Trump wins the election, then she should graciously concede and let's move on. Well, that didn't happen. So now we have all this stuff about the Russian hackers. There is no evidence at this point. Now, post-election, Obama has ordered a investigation into Russian hacking. Obama says, we need to take action, and we will. Democrats are, are, are saying that um, Americans believing fake news is sowing confusion. This is incredible. The Electoral College came back uneventful, no drama yesterday. I believe Trump ended up with 304, might have been 305 electoral votes. Only two defectors in Texas out of 36. And then he got one in Maine. I don't know if Maine uh, dozers out proportionally or not, but one defector went for Trump. I shouldn't say defector. He got one electoral vote in Maine, and Mrs. Bill Clinton got the other two. So he got 300 electoral votes. And the liberal mainstream media is saying, well, that's not a mandate. Uh, He better move cautiously. I beg to differ. I like the fact that Paul Ryan, Speaker of the House, has suggested that the Republicans need to go big on policy issues and policy recommendations. Don't squander this. You don't know how long it's going to last. They control the Senate, albeit not necessarily filibuster-proof, but they control the House of Representatives, and they control the White House. I don't want to hear any more complaining from the Republicans that they can't get anything done because they don't have the power. You strike while the iron is hot. You may not have this supermajority for too long. The midterms are coming up in two short years. Oftentimes, that favors the party out of power. 
So if we end up with a bifurcated Congress where, the, let's say, the Dems went back to Senate, I don't think they will, but who knows? Then we'll have gridlock. So they have to strike while the iron's hot. And they better. we got to take a break. Milwaukee County Sheriff David Clark in for Glenn Beck. This is the Glenn Beck program. Coming up in the show is David French. We're going to talk about Black Lives Matter. Program. Welcome back. Milwaukee County Sheriff David Clark in for Glenn Beck. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Let's go in this direction. I have on the line David French. David French is a staff writer at National Review. He's an attorney, concentrates his practice in constitutional law, the law of armed conflict. He's a veteran of Operation Iraqi Freedom. And he recently penned an article in National Review and it had to do with Black Lives Matter and this love affair with the late Fidel Castro, and I want to talk to him about that. David, thanks for joining me today. Uh, thanks so much for having me, Sheriff. I appreciate it. Uh, why don't you get right into it, this this sickening essay from uh, Black Lives Matter in, in terms of making Fidel Castro into some uh, guy that was to be admired. Yeah, it, it, it's it's really amazing. R- right after uh, Fidel Castro died, Black Lives Matter published a piece, an essay that you know you really, I mean, you really have to read it to believe it. But it, it begins with we're feeling many things as we awaken to a world without Fidel Castro, and it is it's really a remarkable essay that ta- that laments his death. Uh, talks about his revolutionary street cred, and then essentially, and, and then thanks him for sheltering uh, some of the most vicious cop killers in American history. There were there were black revolutionaries who killed police officers. Three of them, for example, hijacked a jet after they killed a police officer at knife point, sent the jet to Cuba, and Fidel Castro gave them sanctuary. And so. What we're talking about here is a, is a man who not only had a human rights record where more than a million people left his own island to escape him, where he ruthlessly suppressed dissent, he actually harbored in the United States, I mean harbored in Cuba, cop killers, and Black Lives Matter was praising him for that. You know, uh, one of those cop killers is Asada Shakur, who was, uh, Warner Forrester was the, uh, I think it was a New Jersey State Trooper that uh she killed or she was involved in it killing he had pulled over these individuals his car for a traffic violation and uh in part she got out of the car she was a passenger in the rear seat 
and went over. Uh, Warner Forrester had been wounded, so he laid in the street. She ran over to him, grabbed his firearm, and shot him multiple times as he laid on the ground there. She was caught. She was convicted. She was sent to prison in the state of New Jersey. I think it was New, Jer- New Jersey, yeah. And uh, she escaped. It was an unbelievable escape. Some people came in. They, they took some of the uh, uh, prison guards hostage. They got her out. She fled to Cuba. She resides in Cuba to this day. And uh, she's one of the ones that I have uh, pleaded with um, with no success to the Eric Trump-led attorney, uh, United States Department of Justice, to get her back after President Obama normalized relations with Cuba. I said, okay, we can something good can come of this um, normalization of uh, relations with Cuba. Let's get those cop killers back here. And, of course, they're not interested in that. But um, I have said, and I've been very vocal about it, I've labeled Black Lives Matter as a hateful ideology. They, uh, they foster division, as you write in your story here. Uh, they support an anti-cop rhetoric, a cop hatred. And there are people who have killed law enforcement officers in the name, name of, uh, of, of Black Lives Matter. Why do you think, other than the obvious, you know, that they look at, at Cuba and they look at Fidel Castro, that murderous uh, dictator, and they idolize somebody like that? Well, you know, they look at they look at everything in the in the United States through one lens and one lens only, and that's race. And so, Fidel Castro, as part of his anti-American campaign, decades-long anti-American campaign, was constantly trying to create greater racial tension in the United States. And and one of the ways that he did that was by uh, was by backing and, and explicitly supporting both rhetorically and providing you know a home for people who are part of organizations like the Black Panthers or the Black Liberation Army. And so these guys, these, these Black Lives Matter uh, activists, who are, who are the, really the, the, the spiritual descendants, so to speak, of the Black Panthers, for example, they look at, at that history, and because they're only looking at it through the lens of race and race only, they don't realize, or at least don't care, the extent to which uh, Fidel Castro was cynically using American race tensions to advance his own agenda. I mean, this is a guy who, in Cuba, discriminated against black Cubans in ways that were grotesque. And he was only exploiting racial, racial divisions in the United States for his own communist means. So he wasn't, he wasn't some sort of social justice warrior. He was a communist dictator thug, but these people refused to see it. You know, part of the, the problem with this, this hateful ideology is the, these people who uh, wrap their arms, arms around it, people who have been invited to the White House, I should add, numerous times to uh, uh, hold counsel with the President of the United States. They don't know their history. They don't know the history here. It's, it's kind of like uh, uh, Colin Kaepernick, quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers, you know, taking a knee, sitting down initially and then taking a knee during the playing of the national anthem, he's another one that showed up uh, at a post-game um, conference. You know, you do the the thing after the game. He shows up with a T-shirt with a picture of Fidel Castro on it, and and I look and I the first thing I I think when I see this, these people don't know their history. They don't know what they're talking about. Um, but when I look at, at Black Lives Matter and I look 
at how this ugly chapter and what it's been and what it's meant for the uh, uh, the American law enforcement officer. And like I said a couple minutes ago, you know, it's led to the death people have killed in the name of of Black Lives Matter. But um, this has also caused police in uh, ghetto communities throughout the United States to not be as assertive as they need to be, to not engage in the kind of uh, discretionary policing, quality of life uh, enforcement, some people call it, and it has led to an increase of crime. You look at the city of Chicago, and I talked about it on the program yesterday, they're up to like 753 murders in the city of Chicago in 2016 alone compared to about 495 last year, and last year's total outpaced the year before that. And in the city of Chicago, you have over uh, 3,000 people who have been hit by gunfire and non-fatal shootings. So you look at this thing across America, and then these people have the the, the nerve, the audacity to run around uh, saying, you know, uh, uh, black lives matter. But you look at stuff like that. Where are they? They're nowhere to be found. Black people, uh, good law-abiding black people in many cases, uh, children, you have seniors living in fear in these ghetto communities. And where are they? You know, they're nowhere to be found. And that's the phoniness of... You know, their mantra, the phoniness of their claim, their slogan, if you will, Black Lives Matter. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, it's one of the most clever marketing campaigns in history that's contradicted by then about everything that the group actually stands for. For example, on its website, it says flat out that they want to destroy the nuclear, the Western prescribed nuclear family. Well, the destruction of the family is one of the main drivers of social conflict, not just in black communities, but in American communities at large. I mean, uh, and when it comes to, to, uh, the, to violence, uh, what you were saying about the change in policing tactics, which are changes in tactics that Black Lives Matter has been pushing for, there's mathematical, there, there's strong mathematical correlation. If you look in, uh, if you look in Chicago, there's been a decrease in the number of stops. There's been a decrease in the number of, consequently, decrease in the number of drug confiscations, de- uh, I mean, gun confiscations, a decrease in the number of arrests, and a corresponding dramatic increase in the number of murders. I mean, all of this is, is very well documented. And so, you know, if you're talking about what, what is it that saves black lives, well, one of the key things that helped end the, the, uh, the, the murder crisis of the late 80s and early 90s was very aggressive policing, and also with, and this is something that a lot of people don't realize, with the active and enthusiastic participation uh, of black communities in the U.S., everything from pastors to politicians, the Congressional Black Caucus was out front in the late 80s and early 90s and trying to have, uh, in, in moving towards tougher policing, there, was, uh, uh, there were African-American lawmakers in states around the country seeking relief from this crime epidemic. And so it was the black community that really rallied in the late 80s and early 90s. And now along comes Black Lives Matter. As you said, they don't know their history. And they're trying to undo a lot of the reforms that the black community had led uh, America in advocating for generation a generation ago that has since saved countless lives. So I'm not sure you know, which community they, community they purport to be speaking to. I think they're speaking for a media community that loves them a great deal. And, 
And like I said, they have a very clever marketing slogan. I mean, of course, everyone believes that black lives matter. Uh, but what's behind that slogan is a very, very radical agenda that is actually costing lives. Right. And it, it really, in, in essence, though, black lives do not matter, at least to these individuals. They matter to you. They matter to me. matter to a lot of people, but not these individuals. They put out some manifesto not too long ago where some of the tenants were, uh, you know, railing against Israel uh, for the treatment of the Palestinians, railing against or, or, or demanding more money for global warming studies. And I, when I read this manifesto, I said, you know what? I said, black people do not care about global warming. They do not care about what's going on in Israel. Not that we shouldn't care about what's going on in Israel. We do. But I said, here's what black people care about. They care about jobs. They care about better schools for their kids to be able to go to. And they care about safer communities. David, I want to thank you for joining us. Keep up the good work and Merry Christmas. Uh, Thanks so much for having me and Merry Christmas to you too. Milwaukee County Sheriff David Clark in for Glenn Beck. This is the Glenn Beck radio program and we have to take a break. Program. 888-727-BACK Mercury Welcome back to the program. Final segment, Milwaukee County Sheriff David Clark in for Glenn Beck. This is the Glenn Beck program. This has been fun. Two straight days. This was new for me. I've done fill-in radio. I've told you that before. I've been a guest host uh, nationally on some programs as well as locally back home. But I've never done uh, successive days. I'll tell you, i got a, a new admiration, not that I didn't before, but for people who do this for a living who are, are good at this, people like Glenn and others. Uh, you know, he comes in, he's got to do this five days and, 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 and no weekends off uh, doing other things. Putting these programs together takes a lot. Again, I want to thank uh, the people on the set here, the, the, the producers and everybody involved in the production of this program. You guys have been great. You really have. Uh, provided you, you, you guys with the training wheels for the, you know, in case the, a bicycle got a little wobbly. I'd have the training training wheels to rely on. Uh, you guys are what makes the show go. I don't know if Glenn tells you that enough, but you do. Uh, he probably does. But thanks for everything that you've done. It's been great. And, you know, it's kind of interesting. I want to close with this. And, and again, this is kind of like the gift that keeps on giving. To rehabilitate the Democratic Party, Obama plans to coach young talent. So Obama to the rescue again. He spent eight years destroying this republic, and now he wants to coach new talent. He says here, what I'm interested in is just developing a whole new generation of talent, Obama told NPR's Steve Inskeep in an interview on Morning Edition. There's such incredible young people who not only worked in my campaign, but I've seen in advocacy groups. You know, he's the community uh, organizer. I've seen past—I've been— I've seen passionate about issues like climate change or conservation or criminal justice reform, you know, campaigns too for a livable wage or health insurance and make sure that whatever resources, credibility and spotlight that I can bring to help raise them up, that's what I want to do. 
That's something I think I can do well because, you know, he excels at everything. There's nothing that Barack Obama uh, can't do. There's, you know, there's no uh, short suits in his talent box. At least that's what he thinks. I hope that he's serious about this because what he'll end up doing is he will coach a generation of young, starry-eyed liberals uh, in, in the area of orga- uh, community organizing, and uh, this Democrat party that is in free fall will continue to flounder. So what I always tell people when they point out what's wrong with the Democrat party, I'm talking people on the right, I say, be quiet, leave, leave them alone. I said, they're doing fine. They will uh, figure this out on their own. So we'll see what happens there. Again, it's been a pleasure to be with you these last two days. I want everybody to have a very Merry Christmas, a blessed Christmas, a Happy New Year. And remember, Donald Trump is going to need all of us to provide that pushback against the people that want to see him fail. And he's going to need our energy as well in order to make America great again. Put the country first, leave the other stuff out of it, and everybody will be fine. This is a Glenn Beck radio program. David Clark, thank you very much. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Mercury.